What's up? It's episode 86, pain points of wealth, and the sky is literally falling. We're an official bear market now in the S&P 500, NASDAQ down over 30%. The headlines get more dire by the day. War continues in Eastern Europe, and Bitcoin, we warned you about Bitcoin, is melting down. Well, we're going to break it all down for you today. We have a special guest on the show today. We have Lee Robinson. He's the co-founder and CIO of Altana Wealth. He's an asset management firm, basically running all different hedge fund strategies. He actually, back in the day, predicted the credit crisis between 2007 and 2009. He's seen a lot of bull and bubble bursts. And he wrote a great book called The Gathering Storm and is a BA in mathematics from Cambridge University and a good friend of mine. Lee, great to have you on the show today. Pleasure to be here. Welcome to the Pain Points of Wealth, the podcast that addresses the pain points that come with creating, growing, and sustaining your wealth, giving you a multi-generational perspective from three pains in a pod. Bob Payne, the boomer, Chris Payne, the millennial, and Ryan Payne, the generation somewhere in between. Man, oh man, what interesting times to have you on this show. Absolutely. The world's falling apart, and you've seen a lot of this in your, basically, your experience. What do you make of the current economic environment and market environment? That's a broad question. I think we've gone through possibly the craziest expansion, fiscal, monetary expansion experiment in the history of mankind. I think we've never seen this on a global basis where every country, you know, a resurgent China, you know, a dominant America, European Union of 27 countries, UK, Australia, we've never seen everybody come together and just print money like they did after 0809 and then after the European crisis and then the pandemic and cutting rates to zero or negative rates. What an incredibly stupid idea that is, right? And, you know, guess what? You know, people bought all sorts of stuff and be that crypto, be leveraged notes, whether that be you know, Italian bonds at 0.25% yield. And suddenly, guess what? The world changes again and the liquidity drops from the greatest level in history and everyone can see there's a bubble in everything. Well, there's going to be some pain. So Lee, with crypto, for example, as that starts to unravel a little bit, it looks like there was a lot of speculation and leverage being used. Do you see that as any type of systemic risk to the rest of the world on <laughs> top of all the other problems we're looking at right now? Look, you never know which straw is going to break the camel's back, right? But I mean, just picking up the numbers, you know, a trillion dollars has been written off crypto over the last n months right but you know there's been two trillion written off the nasdaq right so you know just to put these in perspective these are big numbers nonetheless but they're not the only factor that's going on at the moment and what's going on at the moment i think to some degree is this week particularly is a lot of leverage players have been caught up with illiquid assets and this is not that different from 0708 right where People have promised 20% yields with instant access to your money. And people have gone, oh, that's fantastic. There can't be any catch to that at all. No risk at all. But no, then the people who've actually been doing that have gone out and lent the money at 22, 23, 24%, which in itself was risky for six to 12 months. And they've had their money locked up. So not only were they mismatched on their liabilities like the banks were in 07, 09, they've done exactly the same mistake here, except for in instruments that are not houses and not to some extent have, let's put it long-term possibility of getting your money back. In some cases, have been mythical like Luna and Terra, which didn't exist. These are two new currencies that are pieces of paper that didn't exist, I think, three years ago, right? Look, none of these things are good. A trillion dollars, I know I'm old-fashioned, but that to me is 
a lot of money and it doesn't help. And there's a lot of people who have bought cars and toys and whatever with their Bitcoin profits. I mean, I don't want to show off, but you know, we got in at 435 in 2014. You and all the drug dealers and people buying you know, listed things with Bitcoin, you got in at that level, is what you're telling me. I think that's a myth as well, because if you look at the average cocaine transactions in New York alone a day, it was greater than the value of Bitcoin in 2013. What I'm shocked about is, you have, why do you know that stat? <laughs> you know, I mean, I'm a man who knows things, you know, I know things, right? And the truth of the matter is, it is a world where a lot of money was made on the upside, as was NASDAQ stocks. Plenty of people bought their new car on the back of Snap or Zoom or whatever. And suddenly, guess what? That's gone. Now, if they sold their shares and bought that car, that's great. But if they then borrowed against it from the bank and then borrowed against the car company and then the price went down, it's a disaster. Well, you know how it works, Lee. It's like uh, there's no institutional memory when it comes to investors. That's why uh, dogs chase cars and investors chase speculative stocks and situations, right? I actually had a client call yesterday who uh, he said, yeah, I'm really worried about everything. And he's, I think basically his allocation is almost 65% in fixed income, you know, <laughs> in double A municipal bonds. And I said, well, you know, you really should make sure you unload any of that cryptocurrency you bought. He goes, oh, no, I totally believe in that. I just don't believe in the U.S. economy anymore. I was like, okay, yeah, that's a little broad for a statement, but people do get a little crazy when uh, the markets get this volatile. Hey, look, there's never been an empire that hasn't failed in the long run. So he's probably right. It's just a question of how many decades he wants to make that bet for, right? So That's a fair point. But I think, you know, it's interesting too is it's like you know, with markets specifically, you know, it is kind of like we always say markets they don't repeat, but they sure do rhyme. And you know, going back to like the housing crisis, and I remember like in late 2007, going to dinner and the waitress was telling me how she owned like five properties and she was borrowing us those properties by more properties. And it was just so indicative of what you've heard in the crypto markets now for the last couple of years that like from our viewpoint it was just like, okay, but it's not like if, it's when is this bubble going to burst? And I see that mentality right now where people are like, oh, well, hold on. If this is just one of the big sell-offs that you're going to get along the way, you know, if you hold for the next couple of years, it's going to go up again, which says to me there's probably more pain to be had in that trade. Just my guess. Look, I'm long the stuff and I've been in it and we've got a fund that runs it. But, you know, you've got to recognize that this was at 4,000 stroke 5,000 in March 2020, right? It was 8,000 before COVID. So let's pick 8,000 before COVID. Let's pick a reasonable time frame. And it's currently at 20. So these investors are still up a very, very considerable amount. You can laugh at them or not, but you know, if they were smart enough to take some money off the table, as we did, they probably weren't, but a lot of them are up. And a lot of people you know, also fall down the trap is, look, I would never recommend to anybody. I'm a crypto manager. Right? I've got part of my business is in crypto. But I recommend to people to have 1%, 1% in crypto. I don't go to them and say, put 25 or 30, right? And I think you know, that's okay. You can, any investor can put one or 2% in the odd stock or the odd thing, as long as the rest of the portfolio is reasonably well-structured. As you said, Bob, your friend with his 65% municipal bonds, he probably can take a little bit of risk on his crypto. The guy who's got his mortgage up the hill and needs cash flow, maybe he can't. So different people, different things. And as you said, Ryan, I said, different people have different time horizons. And many a person has made an absolute fortune buying Amazon and they held it through 2000, 2001, too, lost a lot of money and stuck with it and averaged down. And, you know, I don't think we should be too judgmental about different people, different tactics, right? I'd like to meet that person that held Amazon all the way through because I don't know him. Yeah, I've never met them either. And I've never done it either. But yeah, let me tell you a quick sidebar, actually, just going back to what you said, Bob, about stories. Would you believe, and I don't know how much your audience follows this crypto car crash at the moment, but there's a company called Three Arrows Capital, which 
has effectively blown up and done a runner gone from Singapore. Apparently they've left their yacht in Singapore and they've flown to Dubai and they owe everybody hundreds of millions. I mean, it's a terrible story. But a true story, a true story. I had a call with one of the two guys, I'm going to say two to three years ago, and he didn't know who it was, but we were just talking about uh, lending and collateral and all the rest of it. And he was lecturing me on credit risk. I mean, that's how arrogant. And then the call, I said to one of my colleagues, I said, you know, it's nice to be lectured by somebody who's never been through a credit cycle. You know, it's not just greed, it's arrogance and we talked about it, Ryan, a couple of times. Never confuse genius with a bull market. It kind of goes along that same vein of like, you know, all these uh, young traders saying that, you know, Charlie Munger and the likes of Warren Buffett, you know, they lost it. They don't have their touch anymore. Look, to be fair, Charlie wasn't as good as he was three years ago. But, you know, he's done something that most people should do, which is be patient and wait for opportunities. And uh, he's been lucky, of course. They've had a big pot of insurance money. It's not the same as your average person. And we can't compare ourselves to somebody who runs an insurance fund. But nonetheless, you don't see them rushing in. And I would always say to investors, there's always another trade. There's always another Bitcoin trade. There's always another Microsoft Amazon. Don't panic. Don't worry about missing it. There's always another trade. And you'll, you know, if you're long as you're patient and you survive these downturns, you make a lot of money. Investing, it's always about patience. That's for sure. But I think it's a good point too is, you know, I think, you know, you saw Warren Buffett. We talk about Warren Buffett, Charlie Munger in the first quarter and they did the most buying they've done in probably over a decade. I think that's the point, right? I mean, it's really about where these companies are going to be worth over the next couple of years, right? And I think that's what's hard for investors to grasp, or if you're trying to build wealth for the long term, is anytime you get a sell-off like this, no matter where you buy, it's probably going to be a great opportunity when you look in retrospect. I mean, I remember back in the, we talked about the financial crisis, Warren Buffett was getting in around 10,000 on the Dow, and the Dow proceeded to go down to like 6,000, but it doesn't really matter, right? The Dow's at 30,000 today. So the point is, I think anywhere in here as a long-term investor, you are getting some great value. So Lee, you know, in your illustrious career and the street of dreams, if you get one piece of advice that you could really uh, impart on the rest of us that you've learned over the years as an investor, what would it be? Look, I think the biggest mistake that I see in finance is that people cannot work from the forward back to the present. So, you know, they get panicked. They see a company, for example, has a profit warning because it couldn't satisfy an order. Well, those orders still would come. Still means it's a good business. And they mark it down 10 to So there's a lot of short-term emotion and not enough rational thought about long-term. And I think if you're investing, I'm not talking about trading for the next trade. Traders are different people. They can buy high and sell higher. They can sell low and, and it goes lower. But as an investor, first try and think forward. You know, when you're in a pandemic and Carnival is not allowed to do any cruises. Does that mean that cruising is over forever and that business is worth zero? Probably not. So I do think sometimes just, you know, investors need to think, I am investing for the long run. What does this business look like in the long run? And then think, well, is it too expensive today? Rather than thinking, I'm buying it today, can it go up tomorrow? And that side of things. So I think investing is something people don't understand. They confuse it with trading. Right, it's the tipping point. This is where we pinpoint the pain point having the biggest impact on your wealth right now. And you know, Bob and Chris, when it comes to financial planning for the thousand or so families that we manage at our firm, pain capital management, is you know, we find that a lot of you have false beliefs when it comes to your wealth. And I thought we could expose some of the more common, I'll call them financial untruths that you might believe that you really need to correct if you're going to have a financial independence plan that's going to work. And the first one that we get for anyone who's getting close to being financially independent, or we'll call it retirement, is 
this belief that you only need 80% of what you need when you're working, when you're actually retired. And as we know, guys, that's like, that's just not true. I, I want to call this show Mythbusters because that's a myth I want to bust. You know, not only do you spend 100% of what you spend today, you know, in the first few years of retirement, because you're not going to work anymore, you're going traveling, you know, you're hanging, spending more time with your kids and your grandkids, you probably spend close to 120%. And I got news for everybody. And dad, you could probably attest to this. The bank of mom and dad or the bank of grandmom and grandpa never closes. No, it never does. And, you know, that's why it's so critical to have a strategy where a discipline where you're updating your financial plan on a systematic basis. I mean, I love our e-money portal because it updates everything in real time. So it's easy for us to do a planning session if someone decides to take a longer vacation or to buy a new home or to give more money to the grandkids. So, you know, it really does come down to knowing what you own and knowing why you own it, but also looking at the implications of what's on everybody's mind right now, guys, inflation. Yeah, well, and that's the thing, right? When you're actually running the numbers, you just need so much more money saved today than, let's say, generations before. Because if you're retired or financially independent, you could be, that could be 20, 30 years. And then to your point, Bob, you have inflation on top of that. Whatever you need today, that's going to double what you need over 20 years. Or said differently, every million dollars you have today is worth a half a million every 20 years. And then put on top of that, you probably have some healthcare costs, unexpected. It's crazy, right? It's kind of scary, actually. Well, here's the other thing too, guys. I mean, I do probably 100 reviews a year. And the one common factor that I find is that none of you have a clue of what you spend. What I find is that take what you spend, what you think you spend, and increase it by 20 to 30%, because that's really the number. Well, the big question I always have is, I know you don't know what you spent, but you made X from this company in salary and Y from that company in salary. How much did you save? And then when they're scratching their head and it comes out to be a big zero, then you know exactly what they're spending. So, and it's okay, right? But you just got to make sure you're going to be able to do that when you're 80 and 90, maybe 100. Well, it's like the old IBM model. You know, when you're doing financial planning, it's garbage in, garbage out. You got to put good stuff into the plan to get a good result. Well, I like the way you run plans, Chris. You stress the living daylights out of them. You, make it, you try to make it look as bad and dire as possible. And that way, you know that you're going to have the worst case scenario that you're going to be able to get through it. Well, you know, Dad, I'm an engineer at heart. So, you know, I like to break things to see how far you can push it. Well, that's why I don't let you drive my car, Chris. <laughs> well, you know, the other thing to consider, too, is, I mean, you know, the one thing that you hear a lot about is you need income. You need income when you're financially independent. You need income in retirement. And with the annuity industry is probably the biggest culprit of this. Income for life, guaranteed income, and it sounds so great. But the problem is you don't just need income coming in the day that you live off your portfolio, but you have to factor in, again, that that income has to go up over time to account for the fact that your expenses are going to go up over time. And if you have an annuity or something like that, it's the same amount coming in every year. Well, every year you're losing money against inflation. It's not an inflation hedge. So you need income that actually grows over time. It's an important component to your portfolio that a lot of you don't have. Well, you know, we just found out, unlike what a lot of these folks on the financial talking hedge shows have been telling us, is that cryptocurrency is not a hedge against inflation, and it's not a store of value. It turns out gold's not a hedge against inflation, right? It's not going up as inflation goes up. So the true inflation hedges out there have always been the same. Publicly traded companies that can increase their earnings and their dividends on an annual basis are the best hedge against inflation. Bonds that come due it's the only types of bonds you own because that way if inflation goes higher, rates go higher, you get a higher interest rate. That's simple. And having some hard assets in your portfolio, commodities, oh my goodness, am I happy we have commodities because they're up big this year. So, you know, it really isn't about being right every day. It's about being right over time. Dad, I got a comment on commodities. You know, over the last 10 years that I've been in this business, you know, I think I had clients putting hit contracts out on me because if I bought another share of commodities, I think I would have been a, maybe considered a dead man. But, you know, I think they're thanking us today. 
Yeah. Well, I mean, that's what you're seeing right now, right? It's like, you know, these, all the assets that went up at the same time were interconnected, right? You know, the person who probably owns Bitcoin or all these different cryptocurrencies is probably the same person that owned a lot of these disruptive technologies who went technology stocks, right? So when it sells off, all sells off at the same time. And that's the point of diversification. You don't want everything working at the same time. And to your point, Chris, like, it was horrible having commodities in your portfolio the last decade. I cry every day we had commodities in our portfolio, but all of a sudden the tide changes and you're happy you have these what we call lowly correlated assets in your portfolio. So, you know, don't feel good when everything's going up at the same time because that means, as we're feeling right now, everything goes down at the same time. It's the old proverbial, you live by the sword, you die by the sword. Diversification defends against that. That's exactly right, Ryan. And that's our whole point. It's, it's not about just having different investments and having 15, 16 different accounts. Right, because a lot of you end up with a collection of investments. Right, true diversification is having something that doesn't go up when everything else does. And a lot of you, plus you do-it-yourselfers, they've been going back over the last five years investing in what's up the most. I just repositioned a client's four hundred one k for them the other day, and he said, "Bob, everything you picked has a terrible track record." I said, "Yeah, because it's at a great value right now. You know, the stuff that I picked for you before has a great track record. It's time to move out of those investments." Well, here's another great example. I was reviewing a uh, prospective client's portfolios and they had 20 different accounts with all different fund names. And I went and did the analysis and I showed him, I said, you know, you guys are not diversified at all. And he said, what are you talking about? I got Columbia Threadneedle, you know, I got JP Morgan, I got Vanguard. I said, yeah, but everything's in the exact same category, 100% growth. And I tell you, that you don't understand how there's a lot of internal costs. I mean, one of our newer clients said the other day, said, wait a minute, how come you're ETFs have a lower expense ratio than these other ETFs. And I said, yeah, that's why you hire us to go through and vet these things and find, you know, where the lowest cost provider is, you know, to get you involved in the market, get that diversification you need to keep you invested, but better yet to overcome inflation and get you to your goals. Dad, I believe a friend of yours called you the Walmart of the financial world. <laughs> this is true. Lowest prices every day. But high touch service, high touch service. Don't forget that. The other issue too is I think a lot of times you get that mentality of if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And that's the worst thing you can do because eventually things are going to change. And when it comes to your strategy and your financial independence plan, it's always about being proactive, not reactive. Like right now is a perfect time. You know, you want to be making adjustments because I think the biggest fallacy right now is, oh man, I'm down big on my tech stocks. Obviously, I just need to hold them and wait for them to go up again. But the reality of it, that that could take years. When the tech bubble burst back in 2000, it took 15 years to break even on your tech stocks again. How long is it gonna take this time? So it's like, I mean, I've used this analogy a lot, but now that the tide's down, you're sitting on a boat, it has holes, you know, it's, it's sinking. This is when you wanna re-diversify your portfolio because when the markets do recover, and they will, it's gonna be a change of leadership. It's not gonna be the same winners that you had the last decade. So before that happens, this is when you wanna make those proactive moves. Don't just sit with your head in the sand right now and hope for the best, it's not gonna work. Yeah, and to put that in perspective, I mean, 15 years from now, Ryan's gonna be 80. <laughs> he just acts like it, Chris. Oh, that's right. That's why we used to call him the old man. I look great for 65, you know? Come on. <laughs> I only forget every other thing I just said. <laughs> Bob, Chris, and I now have a collective 75 years helping individuals just like you with your planning and investing. This is literally what we do every single day. Everything you hear on this podcast, along with some due diligence of your own, can help you get ahead financially literally at any stage of your journey. But if you want a more hands-on approach and you've saved over a million dollars in your financial independence plan, we'll run for you our total financial master plan. We can do that with no obligation or cost. It's a full holistic review where we look at everything. We'll build a full income plan for you. Factor in inflation. We'll do a full expense and spending plan for you. 
figure out what you need to spend when you finally do retire or pack it in for financial independence. We'll go through every investment that you own, show you where the hidden costs are in your portfolio, show you how to optimize your portfolio for taxes, and show you how to diversify properly so that you can defend yourself when these markets go down. We do these every week. Go to www.paincm.com slash financial plan to see if you qualify for a free financial review. That's www.paincm.com slash financial plan to see if you qualify for a complimentary financial review. All right, it's the hidden facts of finance, random financial facts that may surprise you or even shock you. All right, Bob, a group led by Walmart heir Robert Walton agreed to buy the Denver Broncos for $4.65 billion, a record in U.S. pro sports. That's crazy. I just can't help but wonder what that cost basis was on the company who sold the Denver Broncos. You know, being a long-suffering Eagles fan, I remember when Leonard Toes lost all his money gambling in the casinos, who had to sell his franchise, the Philadelphia Eagles, for $125 million. I thought that was all the money in the world. Kind of pales in comparison to $4.6 billion. I think he made a big mistake. Yeah. And it's good to inherit wealth, and you can buy teams like that. So, Bob, you have to work a little harder for us. Well, I can tell you one thing. Neither Ryan nor I, if we ever inherit any money, will ever buy a sports team. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good point. Chris, Apple generates more revenue than any other American company. This year, the total should be around $400 billion. To boost revenue by 10%, Apple needs to find $40 billion in additional sales. That's about the size of the company's Mac business. The bottom line is growth becomes harder the bigger you become, this could be problematic for a lot of these big mega cap tech stocks. Well, you know what, Roy? I'll tell you what. When my first job out of college, I sold copy machines door to door. And you know the way it, uh, our sales manager used to motivate us to sell more would put us in a room and yell at us and tell us how much we sucked. So maybe Apple should take that strategy. That's always a great way to uh, motivate your sales force. So we should implement that at Pain Capital Management. I think our advisors would appreciate that. What do you mean implement? Isn't it already? Uh... <laughs> yeah, by the way, Chris, how's your pipeline look this month? <laughs> All right, Bob, worker swipe-ins at office buildings were recently in the 30 to 40% range in major markets such as New York, Chicago, San Francisco, and above 50% in the Sun Belt, markets like Dallas and Houston. People are not back to the office in droves yet. No, they're not. And I don't know if this is a uh, new model forever uh, where you spend maybe a day or two in the office and the rest of the time you telecommute or you know work from your desk in your home. But it seems like a lot of folks want that. But meanwhile, I think you made a good point the other day, right? You got to start going out and seeing people again. I think it, when it comes to your clients or in case you're somebody with business, their customers, if you don't go to see them, somebody else will. That's true. Business is all about those personal relationships. So my prediction is in the next three years, we're all back to the office. Health community things a thing in the past, but we'll see how it pans out. Chris, U.S. inflation doesn't really stand out globally anymore. It's 48th highest on the list of 111 countries, whereas last year, we were ranked 28th out of 116 countries. Inflation right now is a global phenomenon, not a U.S. phenomenon. Well, you know, the other thing I would say, too, is, you know, as U.S. citizens, we pride ourselves in being number one in so many areas. I'm just happy this is one of those things that we're not. But at 8.6%, still ain't pretty. All right, gentlemen, another great show. Hey, if you like our podcast, love our podcast, give us some love. We're up to 90,000 downloads. Just give us that five-star rating on iTunes. Give us a subscription on Spotify. And if this is on YouTube right now, give us a like. You can subscribe and click that notification bell. You can be updated every single week. Our new content. That's it for this week. Stay loose and keep an open mind. Thanks for listening to The Pain Points of Wealth. 
Hopefully, you found the ideas discussed in this episode valuable and useful for your own financial journey. You can find out more about Bob, Brian, and Chris's firm, Payne Capital Management, at BeBullish.com or through the contact information found in the description of this episode in your podcast player or app. Join us next week for another episode of The Pain Points of Wealth, brought to you by Payne Capital Management. Information provided on today's show is provided for informational purposes only and does not constitute investment, tax, or legal advice. Information is obtained from sources that are deemed to be reliable, but their accuracy and completeness cannot be guaranteed. Thank you.